to a special edition of our show, Herstory, on the rocks, with Katie and Allie. Typically, it'd be Allie and I hanging out, having a couple of cocktails, talking about famous women in history. But sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about famous women in history. <laughs> we have a very special guest here with us today, Ellen Cassidy. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. We're glad to have you. Ellen was a founder and longtime leader of 9 to 5, the National Association of Women Office Workers. She's also a translator, a columnist, an author, and a former speechwriter for the Clinton administration. We could talk to her about a lot of things, but she's here with us today to talk about her book, Working 9 to 5, A Women's Movement, A Labor Union, and the iconic (laughs) movie. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Ellen Cassidy, and as you said, I have had a checkered writing career. (laughs) But this book, Working 9 to 5, is about the very beginning of me as a grown-up. When I was in Boston in my first job out of college, working as a clerk typist at Harvard University. And a friend of mine, Karen Nussbaum, and I got together and we started a circle of women sitting around talking about our jobs, talking about low pay, unequal pay, training men to be our own supervisors, and having to do favors, all kinds of favors for our bosses. My book, Working 9 to 5, um, tells the story of women joining together, growing together, winning together, and making countless bosses get their own coffee. <laughs> mm, perfect. I love it. Well, before we get into the book, we have to get into the cocktail we made for your book. So this is obviously called Nine to Five. And because it's dealing with workplace, we wanted to make it a coffee-based cocktail. Um, I almost called it a cup of ambition, but we're just going to call it Nine to Five. <laughs> so this cocktail is cold brew coffee, a whole little um, bottle of fireball whiskey, one of the airplane bottles. <laughs> And then cream and one packet of sweet and low. So cheers. Cheers to you. (laughs) Yum. Delightful. Wonderful. You can totally sip this in the office while your (laughs) boss is being a jerk. Yeah, just secretly. (laughs) So before we dive into the book, and you kind of touched on this a little bit in your intro, can you set the scene for us? You're in Boston and this starts with about 10 women and turns into a massive movement. What is happening for women in the workforce at this time? Great question. Um, At that time, the early 70s, it was quite a moment of change in the American economy when women were pouring into the workforce and one in three was now an office worker. So people tended to think when they thought worker, they tended to think of a man in a hard hat wielding a wrench. But in fact, there were more office workers than there were auto workers and steel workers, industrial workers that time. And as the clerical workforce grew by leaps and bounds, So did a sense of injustice among the women whose job it was to type and file and staple and mimeograph and photocopy. And women office workers were starting to look around at one another and think, we feel united as women. We want our rights and we want respect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're having kind of this, I'm going to call it a consciousness raising kind of group that's kind of realizing like, oh my gosh, this is a big problem. (laughs) So you start this kind of movement of female office workers and you go to your boss and you talk to him, but it doesn't really quite go anywhere at first. And then you find yourself at the Midwest Academy in Chicago, which I love this. It was described as a 
progressive boot camp. <laughs> so what did they teach you about organizing and how did that help you form the movement? Going to the Midwest Academy in Chicago was transformative for me and for our group of 10. I came back from there and I had so many new ideas. And, you know, it was very simple things like wear a watch. Uh, when you talk to people, really listen to what they have to say. Listen to the words they're using. Um, take everybody out to lunch one by one and ask them, you know, what concerns you about your work? What What are the problems that you're experiencing? Create an organization that has roles for the bold and the shy, people who are afraid to get up in, in front of a group and people who love doing that. So we worked really hard to create, to make our nine to five organization one that people could feel comfortable in, no matter who they were. And that meant people of all classes, women of all races, women of all ages, and the shy and the bold. And uh, that was really magical. The other thing was that People were afraid to do anything. They were afraid to take action. They were not, we thought people would storm into their bosses' offices and groups and demand raises. That almost never happened. But what we had to do was really create all these, um, these safe ways for women to take action, like surveys. We would stand out in front of the biggest banks and insurance companies passing out surveys saying, what's it like to work in there? Just doing that put management on notice and changes began to occur. And we won job posting and job ladders and promotions and raises and uh, just sort of calling out the issues in the public eye made such a difference. So we were in the media all the time. One of the big things we did was we created a, um, a bad boss contest and we encouraged people to send in their submissions to, you know, what was the worst thing you were ever asked to do? And the things that came in were absolutely incredible. The boss who requested that his secretary sew up a hole in his pants while he was wearing them. <laughs> the boss who fired his secretary for bringing him a corned beef sandwich on white bread instead of rye. The boss who handed his secretary a suspicious looking package and said, you know, this could be a letter bomb. You open it. Right. Oh my God. We would show up at the offices of these hapless bosses and the TV cameras were rolling and, uh, you know, we would present the executive sewing kit or the, uh, you know, sandwich making kit or whatever. And it put people on notice and bosses started to change and women started to change. Women started to think, I don't have to put up with this. Now, do you remember what was the first big victory of this movement? And how did it make you feel? The first National Bank of Boston was the biggest bank in Boston. And we declared 1979 the year of the first. And the first day of our campaign, we were out there in front of the bank with our survey and asking people, what is it like to work in there? We set up a special hotline just for employees of the first National Bank. And then a couple of days later, we're back with another leaflet that says, here's what we learned from the hotline and from the survey. And the very day that we announced our campaign, we won our first demand, which was job posting. You know, when a job opening opens up, management shouldn't just like hire their friend or go through the grapevine. Everybody should know about it. Everybody should have the right to apply the opportunity. Um, so you know, things like that. It was incredibly exciting. It was really, I, you know, I, I don't know how to say how exciting it was, but in my book, I do say how exciting it was. And so uh, the book is full of these 
just like how incredible it was to have people have sort of put up with a lot for a long time and then join together. That was key and put forward what we wanted and changes began to happen in insurance and banking at universities and publishing and law firms. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And eventually you all form a labor union and unions have been in the news a lot recently because of employees of, you know, Starbucks and Amazon trying to unionize. And as we've seen, it's very difficult. <laughs> so can you talk to us about how that process went and some of the hurdles that you had to face in forming this union? Yeah, in 1981, the Service Employees International Union gave us a charter to start our woman-led union called District 925, the three letter, three numbers, 925, all over the country. And we started organizing coast to coast. And uh, we ran into enormous opposition from employers, as all unions did. Um, they really, they didn't want unions and they tried every trick in the book, legal and illegal, delay, firings, uh, captive audience meetings, um, you know, going, filing endless questions at the National Labor Relations Board, on and on and on. But in, in response to that, we came up with some pretty clever tactics of our own. For example, um, at one university, the way we made progress was by making Tampax machines a key issue at the bargaining table. And yes, it was true. We did want more Tampax machines at the work site. But the real reason we kept talking about Tampax was that every time we mentioned the word Tampax, the management negotiators got so flustered that some of them had to leave the room. <laughs> we won a great contract. Oh, man. And how did you react when you were told that this is going to be turned into a movie? Well, we were so thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) Jane Fonda knew one of us, Karen Nussbaum, from the anti-Vietnam War movement. And she came to us and said that she wanted to make a movie based on the concerns of office workers. And she brought her team to meet with a group of our members in uh, Cleveland. And it was a little stiff. It was a little awkward. People were pretty intimidated. And then one of the team asked this question that we had never thought to ask. A Midwest Academy had not recommended asking this question, (laughs) which was, have you ever thought about, have you ever fantasized about doing in your boss? So there was a moment of shocked silence. And then the room just exploded because it turned out everybody had. (laughs) One woman talked about wanting to grind up her boss in the coffee grinder. And another woman talked about wanting to swivel her boss around in his swivel chair and swivel him out the window. And all these fantasies went right into the script of what became (laughs) hit Hollywood movie, 9 to 5 in 1980. And uh, the reaction to this movie was so, so positive among office workers themselves Critics, you know, some found it a little heavy handed or whatever, but office workers completely loved it. And uh, there's this one scene where Jane Fonda is on her, you know, early in her job on her first day of work and she's ushered into a room with a huge copy machine and she's supposed to make some copies and the machine sort of has a mind of its own and all these papers start coming out one after the other, flying out of these various orifices of the machine, and her lip is starting to tremble, and the papers are flying. She's trying to get them off the floor. Women would stand up in the theater and say, 
hit the stop button. (laughs) (laughs) And after that movie came out, things had really changed. We had really won the debate. Mm -hmm. I remember being on a bus and I overheard a woman saying to her seatmate, so I said to him, no, I will not make your coffee. I just saw nine to five and I'm not going to make a cup of coffee for you again ever. <laughs> so, you know, up to that point in the seventies, we were often having to argue with people. Did women actually belong at the bottom of the pay scale? Did women actually deserve to be paid less? Did women not really want to rise up? All those things that was over. Uh, the movie is about three women who kidnap their boss and end up running the company better than he ever could. And they implement all these changes, which are all the changes we were asking for. Mm-hmm. Job posting, job ladders, you know, flex of time, part-time jobs, respect. And uh, nobody noticed that the boss was gone, you know. And it's a comedy. It's a wild romp. It really stands up. If you haven't seen it in a while, go see it because it, it's just it's really funny. You know, it's really great. And we were very afraid that um, Jane Fonda and her team somehow were going to turn it into a comedy that poked fun at women and secretaries. Because, you know, secretaries have been the butt of jokes for many years. The office bimbo, the office decoration, in love with the boss, all that. They got it picture perfect. And they even allowed us to station somebody on the set to keep an eye on them and make sure that they didn't hit any wrong notes. So we were we were just over the moon when the, the movie came out. And the song, Dolly Parton's song, has endured as an anthem that really sings to people to this day. Mm-hmm. Are there other women who were big parts of the movement that people may not know about that you might want to highlight in your book? And in, I know there's also a documentary about the whole you know movement and everything. Um, so is there anyone that you want to kind of give a shout out to right now who you know, isn't here talking with us right now. <laughs> yeah, well, number one, Karen Nussbaum, who was really our leader and became our director of our organization and our union. Um, many, you know, I could name all kinds of names, but it was really those brave women who, um, some of them, their hearts were pounding when it was time to go around and say your name in a circle. And others of them were, you know, right out there, right from the start. Um, our union organizers were fantastic women who never slept. Um, and just, I just feel so, um, grateful to all the people who just took that step. You know, um, sometimes it was a tiny step. And as when I was organizing, having learned at the Midwest Academy, I came back full of beans and, I was organizing women who uh, worked in the publishing industry and it was at that time worth 3,500 extra dollars just to be a man in publishing, according to our research. And uh, there was going to be a big book festival in Boston. And I thought, okay, this is great. Let's throw up a picket line around the book festival and, you know, have signs about how unfair and all this. And the women sort of looked at me and they said, there's this moment of silence. I don't think so. And how about if we just rent a table at the festival? And I thought, oh, that's so mild-mannered. That's so polite. That's so that's never going to get anywhere. Well, we rented a table. Women were thrilled to staff the table. And we got all these names. And within weeks, we knew everybody in the publishing industry. We ended up filing a uh, 
discrimination charge with the attorney general of the state, Mass, uh, the Massachusetts attorney general. And we won like a million and a half dollars in back pay and raises. And it was, they were exactly right. They knew how fast they wanted to go and they did. And they, they challenged themselves and they challenged the industry. And by the time that was over, it was not worth 35 ex, 3,500 extra dollars to be a man in publishing anymore. Mm-hmm. So much like office secretaries since COVID, um, some very women-centric jobs, nurses and teachers specifically, have been really struggling, working extra hours, not enough people being hired. What do you want them to relate to when they're reading your book, Working 9 to 5? What are they going to get from it that can help them with their situation? Well, I, I wanted to write the kind of book that I was hungry for when I was starting out in the workforce. And that is um, a book that really conveyed what it's like to take those early first steps and how important it is to join together with other people. It was so just exciting to be working in this tiny little office with my comrades, you know, 12 hours a day. And then the hard parts. It wasn't all fun and games. And there were many times when I wanted to throw in the towel, many times when I wondered whether we were making a difference. But we just kind of, nobody knew what we were doing, but no one else knew either. So we decided better just stick with it. And if this didn't work, try something else. And we followed our noses. And um, I guess I, I want people to learn from history and to feel that they, what they're doing, they're uh, standing on our shoulders and that they're part of a chain of activism that goes back to the beginning of the 20th century with the garment women and on through the sit-down strikes of the 30s and 40s and the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s and the women's liberation. You know, there's a lot to, to stand on and there's a lot of, a lot that's happened already. But I think, you know, you really have to forge your own path and you have to find other people. You can't do it alone. You've got to find other people to do it with because while an individual can make a difference, individuals working together can make a bigger difference. And so I think people need to trust themselves and know that they're read my book, learn from my book, but go on to forge your own path and your own link in that chain. Mm -hmm. One of the things we normally ask people about is the research process that goes into writing their books. Was, was it odd kind of having to do research on a movement that you were a part of (laughs) and were you learning things like, Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Absolutely. Uh, I started in my own closet and I had diaries. I had letters from my mom. I had the um, notes that I took at the Midwest Academy. I had meeting agendas and leaflets. And I think when I started out, I got the idea for the, for the book uh, when I, the women's March took place right after Donald Trump was inaugurated. And I looked at that crowd and I thought, you know, these people remind me of the women of nine to five. A lot of them had not been part of a demonstration before. They didn't think of themselves. A lot of people didn't, you know, told us in so many words, I am not a feminist. That was okay with us. You don't have to use that word. Um, But I thought, you know, I have something to tell about what it was like back then to, to get this movement off the ground and really win a lot. We won a lot, you know, we won raises and we won back pay. Um, 
So back to your question, though. Um, so I'm going through these boxes, and I was actually quite quite amazed by what we were able to do, and quite surprised. I thought, wow, this was really something. And I went to archives in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Detroit, Chicago, and pawed through all this material, and I was I was very impressed by what we were able to do without, you know, thinking that we won it all. And there's always more to do. Um, I found this little, one thing that really moved me was I found this little clipping that I clipped out of a magazine and it said, in our youth to our great good fortune, our hearts were touched with fire. And that's what it was like for me and for so many of us in the working women's movement. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like you're like a most valuable player. Yeah. <laughs> like also with this movement. Also, do you find that people will talk about the movie nine to five and you're kind of in the room like, you know, I was kind of the OG like Jane Fonda <laughs> in that movie. It's like kind of based on me. And they're like, Is that based on a real thing? Like, do you find that people are shocked by this news? Yeah, yeah. I mean it, it's not widely known. Um Jane Fonda was a fantastic partner in this she barnstormed for us she went around the country she addressed crowds of office workers there was one outdoor gathering of 7000 office workers on national secretary's day in san francisco and she was in the new york times urging women to organize and she couldn't have been better um but it is true that uh that nobody knows about that it was really our organization that inspired the movie um and then the movie gave our, our movement a huge boost, which we're internally grateful for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think the union was formed after, really formed after the movie, correct? The movie, the union started actually in Boston in 1975 as a, as a citywide thing. But then nationally, yes, it took over. It, it, it uh, really took off after that movie like within the next six months. Yeah. And we got, you know, the, the bad boss in that movie. Um, we had him uh, staffing our hotline at one point. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. Well, can you tell our listeners where they can find this book, where they can buy it to read it, where they can find information about you online and all the other awesome things? Yes. So it's called Working 9 to 5 by Ellen Cassidy. You can get it at any place where books are sold online or in person. And my name is spelled C-A-S-S-E-D-Y, an unusual spelling of Cassidy. Um, And I have a website, ellencassidy.com, and uh, people are welcome to take a look. Perfect. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. This was such a wonderful history lesson of something that is closer in history than people I think give it credit for. (laughs) So this is fantastic. Thank you again. Thank you so much. And I'm going to make one of those cocktails as soon as possible. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) 